0: Hello and welcome, John Lennox. Thank you very much. Delight to be with you. Oh, thank you, John. John, tell us everything that we need to know about you in 60 seconds.
1: Well, you're looking at me in front of an image of my college, Green Templeton College in Oxford, and that is the Radcliffe Observatory. I'm a retired Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at the University of Oxford and a fellow emeritus again in philosophy of science. And I spent a great deal of my life expounding the Bible and also dialoguing with people that oppose the Christian worldview. And I've worked at the interface between science, philosophy, and theology.
0: Yeah. And can you take credit for any of that garden behind you, John? Absolutely not well it's very nice and i understand that you have a famous niece that lots of our viewers may recognize right john
1: yes i do uh, my niece is Kristen getty and her husband is keith getty and they're a musical duo and i introduced them to each other so i take credit for that
0: <laughs> that's amazing i didn't know that that's really really good okay well you've just written a brand new book a good return biblical principles for work wealth and wisdom such an important uh, topic Let's start off at the beginning. How important is our work to God, John? Extremely important, because it's part of what life is. Uh, when
1: God created the world, he actually put human beings, the first ones, in a garden, probably much nicer than the one you see behind me. Yeah, yeah. And he gave them work to do. And that in itself shows how important work was to God and to human beings. And it's in that garden environment that they learned some of the most important lessons of life. And incidentally, uh, I work, have worked most of my life as a scientist of a sort. And God started that off in that garden by encouraging the first humans to name the animals. And taxonomy is the basic intellectual discipline. So there we are, God is pro-work. It's part of what it means to be human.
0: Yeah, yeah. And why is our work so often frustrating and hard?
1: Because things went wrong in that garden, uh, in the sense that the humans were tempted to disobey God. He allowed them free run of everything. In the garden they could eat of everything, but he prohibited one special fruit and said they weren't to eat it. The day they did, they'd surely die. And that is really the foundation of morality. Humans are not only working beings, they're moral beings, but it was in the work environment that their loyalty to God was tested. And alas, they failed the test. They preferred to follow the leading of their own hearts and eyes and minds and disobeyed God thinking that it would turn them into little gods themselves, human hubris and pride. And that brought destruction, it brought sin into the world, but it also brought damage. And God told them that work, yes, it would go on, but it was going to be peppered with thorns and thistles and difficulties. And that is originally where it comes from.
0: Yeah and you talk about the fruit, it's often in, in children's stories, the apple, isn't it? The apple's the one that got the blame. How did that come to be, John?
1: I have no idea because there's no mention of what the fruit is. It's that the is right, tree yes. of the knowledge of good and evil. Beyond that, the Bible doesn't go. So the apple reference is a myth.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. The first reference to work comes early in the Bible as God sets for model of what work should look like with six days work and then one rest day. Tell us about that, John, and how should we apply this to our own lives today?
1: I think we need to take it seriously. One of the best writers on this topic that I've ever read was our late ex-chief rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who's got a marvellous thing about the Sabbath. The way in which God has created us, we need to be put on a shelf for a number of hours every night, but we also need to take at least a day a week actually stopping work. And Jonathan Sachs makes the point that this is the time when we should be aware of the fact we didn't create the universe. It'll run without us. And we need to take time not only to rest our bodies, but our minds and our hearts and our spirits, realizing that Creation around us, including our work life, is a gift of God to be enjoyed. So yeah. accepting God's creation from God and remembering whose creation it is. And you can see the importance of that. We've got these marvelous TV documentaries about the sheer wonder of creation. And yet most of them run through without a reference that God had made it. We need to redress that balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, so true. And to be obedient to what God has told us to do, what sort of things should we be doing on our day off, John?
1: Well, that depends on who we are. Uh, relaxation, a bit of sport, reading, being with the family, having downtime. I, I think the word downtime is a a very good one. But if you go back to biblical Jewish tradition today, getting the family together is what they did, not having the telephone disrupting us not packing our lives simply with electronic gadgetry that isn't necessarily a rest in fact it's a huge stress i think uh, i often say to people we need to practice electronic fasting that is watching how many hours we spend unnecessarily with tablets and machines And certainly taking a complete day away from them, that's pretty difficult, actually. But we need to do the things that help us relax. I can't prescribe that for anybody else, and they can't prescribe it for me. But we tend to, many of us, become alcoholics. That is, those of us who aren't intrinsically lazy. So we need a rest, a Shabbat rest. And it's modeled on what God did. He created and then he himself rested and that of course is simply a model for us so we're reflecting something that's part of creation
0: yeah yeah exactly with work job satisfaction is a positive thing obviously but how do we stop work from becoming an idol john
1: by understanding what work is for and this is perhaps a most important issue I deal with it in great detail in my book. Why do we work? And there are various answers to that, but the, the bottom line usually is that we got a family, children to support, etc. And uh, there's a financial motivation, there's a job satisfaction motivation, there's a sense of fulfillment, all the rest of it. But when Jesus talked about gaining the necessities of life, food, housing, and clothing. He said something very interesting. He said, after all these things, the nations seek. In other words, that motivation for work is actually man in the street, but it's thoroughly pagan. That sounds extreme. But then Jesus told his disciples, Why, what motivation they should have for their work. And it's this, Mm -hmm. but you, he says, seek first God's kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly father knows you need food, clothing, and housing. But in your work, you should be seeking God's kingdom. That raises the question, what does that mean? Does that mean that I should email all my fellow workers with a verse of the day or What does it mean? No, it doesn't mean that. It's in the work. God has designed work to enable us to learn basic moral lessons. And there's not a single job in the world, whether it's part-time, full-time, or whatever, that doesn't raise ethical questions. You see, it's seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. All jobs raise the righteousness question. So in other words, god gives me work to do not so much for what i call its byproducts uh, that is the money the housing the food all of which we need and god knows we need them it's for my work to be an experience of god's government and that is new to many people and it's a it's a huge challenge how can i go to work consciously aware that god is sending me into it but i find that massively encouraging because yeah. often i find that christians very rarely hear a talk for more than 10 minutes if at all in churches about work but work covers for the most of us a large part of our lives and god is interested in it and he's given it to us so that we can learn moral lessons you can't learn many moral lessons sitting at home uh, drinking coffee or just sitting in church passively listening to a talk you've got to get out into the workplace where you're dealing with people where you have difficult decisions many of them moral and ethical decisions to make and god is interested in this this is a part of our spiritual and moral education and once we yeah. see that david it transforms everything because it means that god is interested in us 24 7
0: yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really helpful, John. Thank you. you. You mentioned the financial motivation. It's very difficult to separate work from money as uh, for, for so many. Uh, money is the main uh, motivation as to why people uh, may do a certain job. What is a healthy way for a Christian to view money, John? Well,
1: as a byproduct of our work, but not a goal, if you think of the children of israel coming out of egypt god gave them a lot of back pay because the egyptians had exploited them and and they were given gold actually and they shaped it into earrings because there were no banks and it's difficult to steal earrings from people even if they're asleep but then what happened was that gold was a byproduct of their redemption but Aaron turned it into a god and an idol, and eventually became the means and the goal of their redemption. And that is the trouble with my wicked heart. It's one thing to regard uh, money as a byproduct, the goal is God seeking his kingdom. But alas, in the twistedness of the human heart we so easily slide down and we're regarding money as the goal and what happens then is that we start to cut short, cut short. Uh, the corners and they can be moral corners and so in extreme cases you get the people that are finishing money from their employers uh, they're not doing their tax returns and all this kind of thing. If we've got that sense that the goal is God and his kingdom, learning how he rules our lives, and all the rewards, so to speak, that we get are byproducts, that I find helps get things into proportion. If we lose that perspective, we're in a slippery slope.
0: Yeah, that's so helpful. Really, really good and what are some of those indicators that we may be viewing money in an unbiblical way
1: well one of the <laughs> i'll just go on the back side of that and say that it's important that we regard this as something over which we're stewards yep. right from the very beginning god put us into this creation as a steward of it not to exploit it or destroy it as some people think that christians are the great anti-environmentalists no we're not god is very so concerned about this planet that the book of revelation tells us there's a day he will destroy those that destroy the planet and i don't meet too many environmentalists that have actually read that we are stewards of this planet so we're accountable one day we're going to give an account of what we did. So to regard it as something entrusted to us, it's not actually our own, it's God's. And if we call Jesus Christ Lord, then we have to think through how best we steward it. And the Bible gives us wonderful advice. I can't go into it in detail, but farmers know all about this. Uh, One of uh, their pay, so to speak, is in their harvest and they can sell some of it for money but if they sell all of it they'll have no seed for next year so they have to do a very careful thinking through the resources how much to keep how much to plant for next year how much to invest how much to give away and god isn't going to solve that question for us why because he wants us to grow up Mm -hmm. it's sad when a 21 year old has to ask its father to tie its laces. It's okay for a two year old. We need to grow up and realize that God has given us principles in scripture on which we can work. And it's doing that and working the equation out, so to speak, in our own individual cases, that's how we learn our spiritual lessons. That's how we grow. And asking God to decide for us is trying to do something that God doesn't want us to want to do because yeah. he wants us to be grown up and mature children.
0: Yeah. yeah, right. Brilliant. Should the workplace be viewed as a captive audience for evangelism?
1: No, but it can be viewed as a potential audience for making friends and demonstrating through our attitudes to our work that we are feel responsible to a higher authority than the boss. And that's a much more difficult way. People, if they're regarded as a captive audience, they will sense it very quickly. And I've actually written another little book to deal with how to witness in the workplace. It's called have no fear. That's cheaper than a cup of coffee, actually, because this is a hugely important thing. Our attitude to other people in the workplace and well, if we get known as a monomaniac, you know, Joe in the corner, he can only talk about religion. Well, we'll only get one shot and then people will avoid us. That—that That is no way to behave. If we're going to work with people, we must demonstrate that we really do value them, cultivate mm-hmm. their friendships as we can. And when opportunity quietly arises, when they ask us, I notice very carefully that the apostle Peter says, always be ready. To give, a, to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason, not you pushing into their lives, but people seeing how you live and say, well, what's the secret of your peace and happiness and so on? And there's an opportunity to quietly and briefly give a testimony to what God means. Don't bore people to death and try always to be the first person to change the subject
0: yeah well, we'll make sure that we find a link to that book it's called have no fear john is that right
1: yes it is
0: yeah it is. there'll be a link to that in the description wherever you're watching or listening to this interview make sure that you check that out john it's become it's becoming more and more common for christians to be put in compromising situations in their workplace isn't it as so many organizations have chosen to celebrate sinful and and woke agendas what advice would you have for a christian being put in this situation
1: Well, it depends on the situation. We meet this kind of thing in scripture. Uh, For example, uh, sexual temptation or harassment in the workplace is, is a terrible thing, and false accusation is one of the worst things. There's a famous story in Genesis of Joseph, who was a brilliant worker, and he was trusted by his boss. So he ended up running a palace, and that's not an easy thing to do if we look at the palaces of today. But his wife was clearly beautiful and bored, and she tried to seduce him. And it could have been for him a massive temptation because in those days it was a way to gain power. He might easily have taken over his master's position. But he said, look, My boss has left everything in my charge except you because you're his wife and who am I that I should sin against God? And that's the important thing. His ethics were not situational ethics. He saw it as a matter of his relationship with God. Now he was at the time single. He was probably desperately lonely. He'd been he'd been sold down the river by his brothers and so many contemporary people would have said go for it and enjoy her as much as you can and blow pot of her her husband but joseph's ethics were determined by god so what did he do she grabbed him and he ran and i think quite honestly there are situations which are so overwhelmingly tempting and powerful that we got to run and you notice it happened in his workplace And that's extremely important. So that's one bit of biblical advice. And we need to be so careful these days that we don't inadvertently leave ourselves open to suggestions of harassment uh, and all this kind of thing. We need to be doubly careful because the whole world is watching and we become a very litigious society. It's a dangerous world out there. And we need to pray for ourselves and for each other that God will protect us from false accusation because Jesus himself warned that this was going to intensify as time went on.
0: Really helpful, really helpful, John. Thank you. Is it wrong to be ambitious and how should a Christian channel this?
1: Well, ambition has got various uh, forms. You know, even in Christian things, Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. If that's being ambitious, then give me any amount of it. Mm -hmm. But then there's that ambition that is purely a product of human pride, that you want to be better than the others, that you want to dominate the others, that you want to have power over them. So here again, it's, it's a mixed thing. It's a bit like a knife. A good knife can be used either for surgery or murder. And we need to investigate our own motives and and none of us are free of uh, tainted motives that's impossible so we need yeah. to take these things to to the lord and examine our ambitions and if our desire to move forward is pushing down on others and trampling over them well we can easily see that this is not good for us or for them
0: yeah yeah There'll be some Christians listening right now who may seek to glorify the Lord in how they work by being honest and not cutting corners, like you were saying earlier. But then to see a colleague act in a dishonest way and yet prosper. What should we make of this, John?
1: Well, again, we need to earn the right to criticize. This is a sensitive thing. And. uh, it's a generic question, you know, what would you say if, but I don't know the person you're talking about, and you probably don't either. It's 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 one of those questions where I'm allergic to giving a generic answer because there aren't generic answers. We need to take these things to the Lord, but the wise thing is not to rush too quickly because you might find that things backfire on you, and instead of you being a testimony, it backfires and you are the exact opposite and it puts people off Christianity. So be very careful. The Lord Jesus was prepared on occasions to protest on behalf of others, you'll notice, never on behalf of himself. So these are parts of the situation where we need to grow up and we need to get out of this sort of childish mentality. If you watch children squabbling and fighting. Well, unfortunately, it affects many adults. And as Christians, we need to learn to behave and we need to choose our battles as well. Sometimes we can be very unwise and we can get embroiled in a situation that we would have been much wiser to stay out of. On the other hand, we can avoid a situation that we should have been involved in and we can only rely on the Lord. So take time, pray about it and don't rush. There's a wonderful verse in the Old Testament that means a lot to me. He who believes shall not make haste. Don't be in a rush. Take your time. Reflect and pray about things before you act.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are so many times um, in our Christian journey where we're faced with two doors in front of us. And as Christians, we often talk about seeking God's will in our lives. What are some practical ways in which we can apply this to our work?
1: well i have hinted at many of them doing the work as unto the lord now paul wrote those verses actually to all kinds of people including slaves who were the property of their roman overlords now when we think of slavery in the ancient world it wasn't like slavery of the kind that brought slave ships to britain uh, slaves were often treated very well and could gain their freedom. Uh, indeed, most of the professional people in the Roman world were slaves, and some people think that they still are, uh, us teachers and all, all the rest of it. Doing work well, that's a hugely important, as if the Lord were observing it, which he is, and evaluating it so that people see that we're accountable to them if they are our legitimate bosses but also to the lord that's a hugely important thing and that can take some of the drudge out of work there's no work that isn't affected by the thorns and thistles so it's a question of living as unto the lord and starting each day saying well lord you've given me a new day help me to learn the lessons you need me to learn help me to discharge my work And show friendship and respect uh, and honesty and integrity. It's our characteristics, our moral character that is the crucial thing to develop. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is that? Seek his righteousness. Being righteous and upright is the key goal. And we need to remember that if we've got a, a fairly short fuse and our temper and all the rest of it all these things will come out at work and they'll be yeah. seen so yeah. it's our witness through our behavior through our attitude to work and then if people talk to us intimately and usually privately then we'll get an opportunity to tell them what the source of that is
0: yeah yeah we know as christians we're called to be generous in the Old Testament we have examples of tithing please just explain what that was and is it something that we should be doing today John Well,
1: the Lord loves a cheerful giver, as Paul says. And in the Old Testament, there was one tribe in 12, was chosen the Levites to be the priests, and they were to tie the tenth of their harvest and and so on, and give it to maintain the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple and, and so on. And that is a fundamental principle that we need to. Then apply in our lives in the way Paul taught in uh, Corinthians, particularly where he talked about being cheerful givers and giving in sensible proportion. And I go back to the analogy of the farmer, and it doesn't lay down the law that it's got to be exactly ten percent, but that that is a good rule of thumb. Some people, yes. at some times in their lives, they're not able to give that much. Whereas in later life, they may be able to give a lot more. The point is back to the stewardship, we're stewardship of it all. So again, it's it's not a question of a rule of thumb, although that gives us guidance. It's a question of what in our hearts we feel that we want to give to Christian work to charity in that sense. And we are all encouraged to do it. But it's not only our finance, you see. Uh, It is a mistake to restrict this to the financial side. It's time. Some people don't have much money to give, but they've got quality time that they can give. And some people who are giving a lot of money do not give the time they should be giving to their wives and their children. And we need to get that kind of a balance. That's why I called my book A Good Return. It's about investment, but not simply financial investment, the investment of all that we are and have, all our gifts. And you know as well as I do that some people have had mentors, Christian mentors, who invest a lot in them, spiritually and morally in terms of teaching and zero financially, but it's, you couldn't pay for it financially. Right. So yeah. we need to be aware that this question of stewardship applies to all of life. Concentrating on the financial is a skewed mistake.
0: Yeah, so good. Time has absolutely flown by. So just give us some quick um, responses to these last few questions, John. Is it wrong um, for Christians to save for the future, such as paying into a pension?
1: I don't think so. Um I have a pension, in some jobs it's it's mandatory, and the state gives us a pension. Even uh, the Lord comments on uh, the birds storing up and various animals he's built into them, that business of providing, and we're told, Paul uh, spoke very clearly, that if a person doesn't provide for their family, they're worse than an unbeliever. And you get these scare stories of Christians who said, oh, well, I'll give everything away. And then they left their children to be educated by unbelievers and brought disrepute on the faith. So making sensible provision, but then how much and how long for? that again is a question of our maturity and integrity and we've got to sort it out before the lord he won't do it yeah. for us because it's part of who we are remember yeah. we are the sum total of the decisions we've made up to now and some people have a very naive view of guidance as if god's going to drop it down and say take 10 steps forward and you'll meet a man carrying a basket on his head and all this kind of stuff make sure you pay him Etc. that won't happen, because God wants us to make the decision, and we don't make it in a vacuum. He's given us scripture, which is, let me put it this way, the Bible gives us a guide and principles, not precise guidance as what to do in every situation, because that would leave us immature, as I said earlier. We'd be forever allowing God to tie our shoelaces. So we've got to take these things sensibly.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and what about the National Lottery, uh, John? Should should Christians play the National Lottery?
1: Well, gambling is a real problem, and people have different consciences on on the National Lottery, but I see it as part of, in my case, that a slippery slope and having had contact with people that have got into the gambling situation and it has almost destroyed them i would be very concerned about that Uh, that's taking risks and the danger is it's not only risking your own money it then becomes risking other people's money
0: yeah and will we have to work in the new heaven and new earth john
1: Oh, sure, his servants will give him, will do service. The the new world is not going to be boring. And if this earth is, as I believe it is, any preparation for the world to come, it's going to be absolutely exciting. Just remember the parables the Lord taught for responsible stewardship in this life you be over five cities you be over ten there's going to be administration in the world to come and lots of other things it hasn't entered into the heart of man the wonderful things god has prepared for those yeah. that love him you may be sure it won't be boring
0: you mean we're not going to be sitting on a, on a cloud playing the harp all day john and uh, not me <laughs> brilliant well before we let you go please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts and also let people know how they can keep in touch with you on social media
1: well my closing thoughts are really that god is interested in all of your life and that excites me greatly and we're moving on towards a magnificent future artificial intelligence some of the pundits promise us an uploading of our brains to give us eternal life. There's something far better than that, and that is the resurrection that Jesus has promised to everyone that trusts him, and we're moving on into a new world. So what we need to do is invest all we can into that world, which Paul tells us especially, that we can lay up treasure in the world to come. Uh, I'm not an adept at social media, but I have a website, JohnLennox.org, and I'm all over the internet, probably far too much, so you can find out what I have to say on lots of things by looking on YouTube and allied platforms. So thank you very much for having me on and listening.
0: Oh, thank you, John. We'll we'll make sure that there's a link to your website and, of course, the link to this book um, in the description below. John, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. My pleasure.